I'm Andrew Faust here at the Center for Bioregional Living. This is Permaculture Perspectives. And today, what it is that I would like to have a conversation with you about is really related to a lot of philosophical and, um, yeah, let's, you know, let's explore ways of thinking about ourselves and the world. You know, a lot of, uh, a lot of topics to get into today. I mean, here we are, um, living on a planet, rocketing around a sun in outer space, and clearly, sadly, many of our fellow humans seem to lack a sense of reason and a sense of responsibility to one another. And I think many of you can probably already begin to infer what it is that I might be referring to here, and it has to do with this spread of a pandemic around the globe, unprecedented in human history and the range and impact of this COVID virus that we're now seeing Delta variants and new permutations come out. And I thought I would just get right into it because it's clearly one of the big topics right now that everybody's grappling with. Some funny things for me when I hear people in the media acting bewildered about the lack of interest in going back to work. Oh, Jesus, so sad. Don't you see that people don't want to go back to work? Is it? I, I'm not. Uh, is it most of the work people are doing complete and utter bullshit? I don't know. I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, come on, folks. The vast majority of the purported work that people are doing in the modern industrial corporate centered institutionalized world of the G20 nations is worthless that is a nice word for it what it actually is is part of the problem not part of the solution the work that many many well-intending unsuspecting humans are involved in, again, in the G20 centralized, industrialized, import-export economies that are the one-third world minority, not the two-thirds world majority. This perspective that we find as a backdrop throughout the cultural mindset in the way that people in the media, in particular I'm talking about here, newscasts, broadcasters. There is a general timbre in the country right now of concern about this lack of interest that people have in getting back to work. Well, as I'm suggesting, it begs a question, and the question that it begs is, was the work that many people were doing Important. How do we define important? 
know, what's interesting is the day and age that we're in seems to have completely abdicated any responsibility to be able to articulate to us as individual citizens, cogs in the wheel of the industrial worker. And we really haven't been told what is the meaning of our work and our existence. And this is where it gets interesting because I think here's where we can begin to realize that our vision, our, if we have one, our understanding as an individual of the world, our place in it, what gives meaning to it, is largely a socio-cultural construct that we have had conditioned into our thoughts, hearts, and minds. What's crucial and lacking in the American mind, in the privileged class mind of the G20 exploiter, colonizer, conqueror societies, what's lacking is a sense of calling a meaningfulness in life that is about giving back more than we take. Finding meaning in being beneficial and caring to our fellow human beings. In fact, we've largely been encouraged to do quite the opposite. I'd like to share with you at this point a reading that I started my permaculture design class with part of why I haven't been doing a lot of podcasts for those who might be interested. Yeah, well, we, you know, when I'm teaching all day online, six weekends in a row, six hours a day, with an amazing array of guest teachers, by the way, helping me to not have to do all the speaking. But if you notice some of uh, difference in my voice, it in part today has to do with the amount of teaching, which I love doing. I do find myself to be not as voice trained as I could be, which ends up making it so when I'm lecturing online in front of a computer screen, I seem to use aspects of my voice that strained it. So I'm keeping it a little quiet today and I wanted to get into some life philosophy, life viewpoints, and some of what influences and informs me and I like to bring into our permaculture design classes is this this perspective from the Eastern philosophical modalities, in particular Taoism. And so here we're going to read from the further teachings of Lao Tzu. And I'm going to start with passage number 49. Lao Tzu said, There are three kinds of death that are not natural passing away. If you drink and eat immoderately and treat the body carelessly and cheaply, then illnesses will kill you. If you are endlessly greedy and ambitious, then 
penalties will kill you if you allow small groups to infringe upon the rights of large masses and allow the weak to be oppressed by the strong, then weapons will kill you. It's 300 BC, words of wisdom from Lao Tzu. Passage number 50, Lao Tzu said, Fine are the rewards of the generous, profound, the calamities of the bitter. Those who give little but expect much accumulate bitterness and cannot but have trouble. Observe how they go and you know how they come. Passage number 50, 51. Lao Tzu said, Find out destiny, governmental functions, make preferences orderly, and suit real nature. Then, the way of government is comprehended. Find out destiny, and you won't be confused by calamity or fortune. Governmental functions, and you won't be joyful or angry at random. Make preferences orderly, and you won't crave what is useless. And this is a really big one for our society right now, our culture, right? Don't crave what is useless. Suit real nature, and your desires will not be immoderate. When you are not confused by calamity or fortune, then you accord with reason in action and repose. When you are not angry or joyful at random, then you do not flatter people in hopes of reward or fear of punishment. When you do not crave what is useless, you do not hurt your nature by greed. When your desires are not immoderate, then you nurture life and know contentment. These four things are not sought from without and do not depend on another. They are attained by turning back to oneself. So when your desires are not immoderate, immoderate desires have to do in part with this pattern in our society today, in our media-dominated perception of the world, we arguably as individuals, as what is often called consumers, clearly are encouraged by the purveyors of many of these goods to consume, to purchase, to desire many, many, utterly, completely useless things. And what that ends up doing is having a catastrophic fallout when you look at the shadow of the impact on time 
space and land and what future generations are going to inherit. We keep leaving piles of trash all over the planet that will contaminate groundwater and from which we can never reclaim the rich compostable organics, 60% of these giant mountains of trash. How giant? Well, the Fresh Kills landfill is about 5,000 acres sacrifice zone to trash. We've got landfills in Texas that we were trucking municipal sludge to, a 20,000 acre sacrifice zone to trash. In fact, the pretty standard number you're going to find out there is that 99% of what people buy is landfilled within six months of having purchased it. Now, one of the most important ways to pull out of that tailspin of self-destructive idiocy is to start composting, comprehensively, thoroughly, completely diverting all compostable biological organics from our waste stream throughout the country, from home to village to town to city. This must be done, should have been done. We're already way behind on many things that we need to get moving on. And one of the biggest ones is a national initiative, a local initiative, to get food out of trash, all organics out of trash. We will divert we will diminish the waste load by 60% according to numbers that we will find again. Cross-reference the Environmental Protection Agency, 41 million tons, 60%. DEP, Solid Waste Authority Boards. We have a very clear need to begin to pay attention to our relationship with our landscapes, with the material flows, with where it is that all of the goods and services come from that we depend upon. We need to shorten the distance of that and we need to begin to redirect One of the challenges for the mindset of this culture is this lack of ability for people to separate their ego from their choices. And what I mean by this is that separating your ego from your choices what I mean by this, I think is important to talk about because I see it as foundational to one of the real conundrums, one of the um, underlying reasons for some really poor choices that many of my fellow humans are making. And it, what's interesting is when you think about people's personal responses to, for instance, something like, oh, whether or not to take 
a vaccine for COVID. And the lack of ability for a separation from thinking that you are your decisions. It is important that we can make a decision and not have to go down kicking and screaming trying to defend it. I think that defining ourselves by our decisions is a slippery slope. And by that I do not mean that you don't have ethical integrity about the decisions you make. What I do mean is that we need to recognize that sometimes we need to transcend being attached to arguing for our own choices and decisions. And it's been particularly interesting to see this tendency for people to really throw in their flag and stake themselves down to the purported terra firma of their choice to either be vaccinated or not be vaccinated. You know, to me personally, I think that um, there's a lot of clear science showing us that it makes a difference. And for people who are older and people who are immune compromised, um, the benefits clearly outweigh the risks. But am I personally, as an individual, going to make being for people taking a vaccine something that defines who I am or my position in the world? Absolutely not. But neither do I take necessarily, ultimately, people's decisions about many things don't define necessarily who they are. Politics, who they vote for. Ultimately, one of the things that I think adds up to a really important choice, but I'm also not attached to it, is whether people buy organic produce that was grown ethically and as close at hand as possible. But am I going to define who I am and judge others based on my own subjective criteria? Absolutely not. And this is what I'm talking about when I say we all need to practice non-attachment to our ego and to our decisions as something that we self-identify who we are by those actions. They are actions that we stand by and hold with integrity. And it's also important to know when to transcend what your choices have been and recognize that having humility, learning, and possibly changing what one's position is, is a very important thing to be able to do. So attachment to arguing a particular viewpoint, attachment to our separate self, our ego, our opinions. These are unhealthy traits that you want to practice throughout your life and your day and your interactions with yourself internally and with your friends and family and neighbors and community members, 
practice non-attachment to your ego and your opinions so that we can learn how to really notice one another more sensitively. We've been encouraged in this cultural mindset, I would suggest. We've been encouraged to prop ourselves up on this capacity to feel in some way superior, to judge others, to feel either intellectually superior or in some other way entitled to judge. And in fact, we've largely psychologically, culturally been encouraged to hang our hats on some sort of sense of rugged individualism that emerges out of a competitive self-image in relationship to our fellow humans. We look at people around us as competition, much more than as cooperation. And this goes back to the scarcity mythos at the core of Protestantism, it's hard to say, at the core of Protestantism, at the core of the Judeo-Christian worldview. We've got this flawed self-image. And in effect, even concepts like sin are underneath why we socially within the pop culture of the modern age why we promulgate this unspoken offering of success being a key to finally being able to be pulled out of the mire of our mediocrity and anonymity stardom awaits And that is largely, I would suggest, vacuous and insubstantive, but has cultural or class, perhaps, importance. But what really matters, what really does have meaning, is making sure that we're all doing well. Doing what we can as individuals to bring about a world of caring, of compassion, and of healing. Healing the wounds of the past. Healing the age-old travesties of the present warmongering power structure there's a waiting that's needed a listening honoring and appreciation of just being that I find myself returning to as a a recommendation to you, my advice to you if I can offer anything through these transient mediums of airwaves and recordings to my 
listeners and my fellow humans on this planet. I hope to offer perhaps something that is related to this term of just being. And what I, why I want to use those words and come back to this as a response, a powerful practice to cultivate, meditate, breathe, contemplate, walk, less talking, less creating anything, simply being, swimming, breathing, walking, climbing trees, running, being in our bodies, being in the out of doors. Do you know the people in cities are estimated to spend 90% of their time indoors? I don't think that has a good effect on us. And it turns out, well, there's measurable indicators that it definitely does not have a good effect on us. Some other numbers to couple with that. The EPA estimates one of the top five causes of illness in the United States is indoor air. Right? So one of the top five reasons people get sick is because of the air in buildings. And furthermore, if you live in a city, you're even more likely to be spending an exorbitant amount of time in buildings, 90%. And one of the best ways to begin to alleviate this measurably as well is to bring plants in. Bring in your plant allies. Number of studies out there showing. One has a memorable title, How to Grow Clean Air by B.C. Wolverton. This book will tell you the wonders of houseplants at cleaning pollution out of your air. All true, all documented by NASA and used by NASA to help with the air quality on spacecrafts as astronauts were getting sick. They put a bunch of houseplants on them, ferns, turns out about three houseplants, typical size potted plant, three of them, say a fern, a dracania, some violets, um, per five feet of cubic office space. So approximately every cubicle in one of these offices where we might have temporary dividers just three plants and the microbes who live at the root zone of the plants eat literally digest and absorb volatile organic compounds and the staggering number this is really fascinating to think about from the viewpoint of how I like to put this is we need to recognize we have a myriad of allies that are waiting to be honored and recognized by us. And those allies that are often underestimated and overlooked are in the microbial world and in the plant world. And bringing them into our hardscaped, concretized, overbuilt-up, urbanized landscapes right into the interior of our apartments and our offices cleans first the three plants back to our case study unit size. Three of those plants can start out cleaning about 80% of the volatile organic compounds that would make you sick. They're just coursing throughout your average building because of the toxic junk that they make buildings out of, which is a whole other conversation that we can 
have another time. But to mitigate it as an end of the pipe experience, since many of us are going to be in that situation, not in the one that we'll describe another time where we can retrofit it and clean it up with natural interior finishes and materials. But if we're not in a situation where that's an option, then these plants are the go-to. So we bring in the three plants. They start out cleaning about 80% of the follow organic compounds, helping you already feel better. Two days later, 90%. Four days later, 100%. And what's happening is natural selection at the root zone is selecting for microbes who like the particular cocktail of volatile organic compounds that are in that space. So morphology the adaptive capacity of microbes to go through many generations in what for human beings is a very short amount of time is an advantage when we cooperate with that capacity of life. It becomes a disadvantage and creates a very conflict-ridden and destructive dynamic when we try to kill life forms that very rapidly go through many generations in a short amount of time. And this is why pesticides inherently lead to a much heavier and consistently heavier and yet heavier dosage as a response to the fact that morphologically insects are incredibly capable of adapting to anything that is impacting it because they go through many generations within one day's time in many instances even within several hours of time entire generations of insects can live die re be reborn basically but now only the ones who are adapted to the chemical so that's going in the opposite direction with this relationship And I do firmly feel that one of the foundational choices we need to make culturally is to eliminate the usage of chemicals entirely from all forms of agriculture. And any community that has some sense of sanity and reason, the Hudson Valley watershed, the Rondout watershed, is going to recognize that until we just totally stop using chemicals farming here we're not a community that honors the health of the people or of the water we're comfortable with giving people illnesses that are preventable by using these chemicals and we're endorsing widespread chronic water pollution and these things are clear We live in a place where sewage treatment plants, every single one of them, is in chronic non-compliance with the Clean Water Act. One right here in the Rondout watershed, near and dear to me, and a place I write a lot about in our local paper these days, the Shawangong Journal. Keep an eye out for it if you're in the area. It's online as News Atomic. I've been writing ones about resilient and regional food sheds. I have one coming up about addressing development pressure. And 
Right here, we've got a sewage treatment plant in Napanock. They've been in chronic non-compliance with the Clean Water Act since 1991. To me, this begs the question, why do we have the Clean Water Act? So, these are some thoughts. And I'd like to encourage you to breathe, stretch, honestly don't think too much, drink really good water, eat good food, celebrate the fact that you're alive, give thanks, and Stay in touch. Anything I can do to assist with your evolution, your grounding on this planet, your giving back to those who support you. Any support you need in understanding pathways to that. This is the purpose of the educational work we do. It's the purpose of these podcasts. So I really hope that you all find these valuable and give me some input if you'd like certain topics covered. If you enjoy aspects of this, if there are parts of it that you'd like me, you know, to do differently, I'll at least take it into consideration. And take care. Enjoy your ride on planet Earth, rocketing around the sun. Till next time, Andrew Faust, Permaculture Perspectives.